If you'd like to just stand up for a minute, just a second, or just stretch the legs. You've been sitting for quite a while. Look at the person next to you and smile. <laughs> Thank you, you can sit down. The power of a smile. When we were worshipping, I just felt that there was someone who's come here today and something's happened in the week that's made you feel completely disqualified as a Christian. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I want to say this to you. Remember the woman that was taken in adultery and flung before the feet of Jesus with everybody condemning her. And Jesus said, He's got a, he without sin throw the first stone. And all put their stones down. Here's to the woman, who's condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want to encourage you. You repent. You turn to God. And you carry on. You are not disqualified. You are not disqualified. And God will make you whole. So we're in the series of making space. It just seems to be coming up everywhere. Prophetic words. and um, I want to ask you this morning, how content are you with life? And if you, if you don't fully know what contentment means, it means to be like totally at peace with a deep inner joy. I think that's what contentment is. Like when you can just sit back and smile and everything's lacquer. That's contentment. How content are you? Deep down, I believe everyone's looking for that contentment. But the tragedy is so many people are looking in the wrong place. Deep down, people want joy. And that's why we entertain ourselves to death. Because we're looking for joy. We're looking for something that's going to fill the void. Now the Apostle Paul had a real, a real angle on this whole thing of contentment. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What an incredible testimony. In good times, bad times, I've always been content in God. Wouldn't you love to be at that place? Totally assured of his love. That you can find his, pres his presence whether you are in emptiness or fullness. In want or in plenty. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How satisfied are you this morning with God? Are you in a place of deep, deep contentment? Deep abiding joy? 
the bent of the world is powered by covetousness. We know the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. I would say number one problem in the human race is covetousness. This incredible desire to have. Which is the, the commandment that you'd say is like the best and the, and the strongest? Is it, is it jealousy? Is it anger? Is it violence? Is it adultery? Is it fornication? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I believe one of the strongest commandments is you shall not covet. Because coveting creates jealousy, anger, murder, theft, violence. It is a key to life. Covetousness is an excessive desire to have. And it's a disease that we're all prone to at varying degrees. And it causes massive, massive problems. For me, what defines the world is covetousness. It's the source of most evil. It's wanting stuff that does not belong to you. And that is why nations go to war. It's as simple as that. I think Russia wants Ukraine. And thousands and thousands of people are killed and maimed and lose their homes. That's the thing that causes wars, this, this covetousness. Listen to Solomon's words when he says in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This incredible, competitive, wanting spirit. And he says, This also is vanity and a striving after wind. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to strive after wind, all that's going to happen is you're going to get your hairstyle messed up. Because there's nothing. There's nothing there. It may feel like there's movement and something's happening, but actually it's empty. Striving is a key word in describing human nature. I believe that God has placed a striving heart within us. But then it depends what we are striving for. Because much of our striving is a striving after wind. I mean, we strive for the best job. We strive for the best motor car. For the best home. For the best figure. 
for the best dress, for the, to have the most influence, to have the most power, to have the most prestige. And we strive after those things. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be successful. There's nothing wrong with godly ambition. But if we strive for the wrong things, that is where we come totally unstuck. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Take care, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's the word of Jesus. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Covetousness is this deep desiring to have and to have and to possess. You remember the story that Jesus told also in Luke's gospel about the farmer. We know it well, but it's, it's so pertinent. The farmer says, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Contentment. Wonderful contentment in the abundance of wealth. He says, let's relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then it's like there's a voice from heaven. God says, you fool. You fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Listen to the punchline. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jill and I watched an excellent documentary on Sylvester Stallone, Sly. Man, it was fascinating. He came from a terrible background. Poor, poor background. His father was violent. He sorted everything out with violence. And that's how he grew up. Just grew up fighting. Just grew up knowing what it is to be knocked about at every, every turn. And then, and then he started clicking into this thing of acting. And he got rejected so many times. And then one day he got a breakthrough. In fact, he thought, if I can't act, I'm going to write. And so actually he was writing before he acted. And so he becomes this amazing movie script writer. And if that's not good enough, he actually becomes a director. So he gets into acting, writing, and directing, which is pretty, pretty good, don't you think? And as we look around his house, because they film it from his house, and he's, he's busy packing up to move to another place. And this house is just full of stuff. There's this massive statue with Rocky with the boxing gloves. You know that famous pose. But it's massive. It's like three times the size of a man. That's only one thing that's in his lounge. <laughs> and there are trophies and there are boxing gloves. And I think, man, this guy, this is his own personal shrine. Seriously, you want to walk into your lounge one morning and see, oh, Malcolm's so great. Oh, he won this fight. He won that accolade. Oh, just look at those Oscars. So he becomes this amazing writer, director, actor. Even if you don't like his movies, the fact of the matter is he made millions. 
But friends, you know what's so tragic? By his own admission, he is full of regrets. Imagine being so powerful, prestigious, honored in the art world, and you're empty inside. You have deep regrets of the things that are really worthwhile in life that did not get attended to. And as he spoke about himself, I, I watched a man who's got everything in the world, but no peace of God. No contentment in God. I thought, what a tragedy. And friends, there are millions more like that. Maybe not earning so many Oscars. Do you know that he had um, 33 great awards and 70 nominations? And that's pretty good. <laughs> but empty spiritually. Openly admitting He's full of regret. Friends, we, we find, we fill our lives with stuff. And whoever's at the desk, if you could just pop up that, that graphic for me. Got it. Ah, oh, there you go. I don't know how many guys here know Stuff Magazine. I used to enjoy reading this. It's literally full of stuff. Fancy stuff, gadgets, phones, fancy, fancy things, and all the technology. And when, when I thought of it, I thought, that's our life. Our lives are full of stuff. And how much of it is actually worthwhile? You see, friends, when we fill our lives with stuff, we squeeze God out. That's as simple as it is. That's what Jesus said about the seed and the soils. He says, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. You see, riches is not a problem. It's what you do with the riches. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, other stuff. Enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. And Murdoch preached wonderfully last week on fruitfulness. No fruit. Fruit. More fruit. Much fruit. But Jesus says, if you have too much stuff, be careful that it's not going to choke the living word of God. Now, when we come to Christ, there's a switch that takes place in our hearts. For some it's gradual, for others it's pretty immediate. Suddenly when I'm born of the Spirit, I'm now alive to God. Now suddenly, I want to go to church. Now I want to worship. I want to pray. I want to read my Bible. And friends, I was thinking about this. My conversion was dramatic and instant. 
and incredibly powerful. So the amazing thing is that when I woke up on Easter Sunday morning, having been born again the previous night, my language had changed dramatically for starters. And now suddenly I was drawn into the circles to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to worship. A week ago, I was utterly lost and my life was full of stuff and very bad stuff. But when Jesus came in, a lot of that stuff just got kicked out instantly. I know it doesn't happen to everybody like that. For some it's gradual. And, 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 and as you want to make room for Christ, you realize, wow, this must go. This must go. This must go. <laughs> you have to reorganize the inner home of your heart. You see, after all the striving for contentment and, and pulling in stuff from the world and some good stuff, but still there's been that inner emptiness. But then there comes that switch. It's like the story that Jesus tells of the, the pearl merchant. Wonderful story. Here's a guy who knows pearls so well. That's all he's done in his life. Is he's, he's, a, he's a merchant of pearls. And he knows their value. When he finds a pearl, he knows its value. Then one day, he finds this pearl of great price. And what does he do? He sells everything he has to have this one pearl. Jesus says, that's the kingdom of God. Friends, when God's kingdom breaks in upon you and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are now under new management, you're now under a new influence. The switch has been turned. Now you are part of an incredible kingdom. And when you start looking at the stuff in your life in comparison with a crucified, risen Lord who is King of Kings, some of that stuff looks so shabby, doesn't it? So shabby that it cannot stay any longer. Our affection the switch has been flipped. And whereas I was so affectionate for the stuff of the world, for prestige and power and wealth and whatever, when I'm born of the Spirit, there's a flick of the switch and my affections have now been turned towards the lover of my soul. But friends, he has the challenge. I don't need to tell you. There's someone who does not want you to enjoy this affection and this wealth of love and grace. You know how I'm talking about. So you do not automatically live in the good of that because you are being harassed 
by an enemy, and all he wants to do is shift your affection ever so slightly off the real focus of all affection, Jesus, the lover of our souls. And so we live in this challenge constantly. And very often we get mixed up with stuff, with power, prestige, and whatever, and then we realize, where's Jesus in all of this? And we have to make space for him. We come to Jesus filled with the world. And from, from that day onwards, there's this tussle. Kingdom of God, kingdom of the world. Kingdom of the spirit, kingdom of the flesh. And we take authority and we live in victory over that. Paul Paul's heart cry was this. Now here is a man who was highly educated, highly esteemed as a rabbi in his community, highly learned, highly honored. But listen to his testimony. He says, oh, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power his resurrection. Friends, I want to ask you this morning. If I say to you, are you a Christian? You're probably going to say yes. But you know, I'm not asking you if you put your hand up one day and you gave your life to Jesus. I'm asking you, do you know him? Because the word in the original is a deep, intimate word not just know about him, I know him, I experience him. Do you know him? And I want to pray, if you're in that place today, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this message to respond. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not know what it is to feel contentment with the peace of God, then I want to pray for you. Because God's, God's plan for you is to know Jesus, to really know Him in your spirit. Listen to what Paul says. Basically, he says, compared to Christ, everything's junk. Actually, he's used a stronger word, but anyway, he says, indeed, I can't everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Listen to this. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's a man who knew God, who knew all the laws of God, who understood the old covenant back to front. But friends, when he meets Jesus, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Very polite word. Because in the, the original, it actually is dung. Refuse. That's how strong Paul is talking about this. Compared to Jesus, 
this crucified, risen, victorious Lord in whom is life. Everything is just junk. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Friends, that's a guy with priorities in the right place. That's a guy who has fallen head over heels in love with Jesus. So I'm not asking you if you've committed your life to Christ. I'm asking you, how passionately in love are you with Jesus? Friends, this is what the Bible teaches. If you're going to strive for anything, strive to know Him. Jesus said, strive that you may enter the narrow gate. And what's the narrow gate? It's a person on a cross. That's the narrow gate. Jesus said, strive to enter the narrow gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the narrow gate. Everything else is superficial. The writer to the Hebrews, he says, let us therefore strive, it's a strong word, strive, energy, to enter that rest. What rest is he talking about? The rest that Jesus purchased on the cross, his, his finished work on the cross, so that I don't have to work for anything in my salvation, I simply rest in this wonderful work of Jesus on the cross. And he says, if you're going to strive for anything, strive to enter God's rest. Strive to get to that place where you can say, I am so content in God. Is my life going well? Not really. But I'm content in God. Friends, please listen. God wants you and I to get to that place that whether we're in a storm or whether we're in a place of freewheeling and it's all lacquer, He wants us to be in that place of contentment in Him because He's won the battle. He's won the battle. All that needs to happen is for him to come and open his mouth and the armies of the enemy will be flattened and we will reign with him forever. And that is why in the midst of hardship, it is possible for a Christian to know joy. We're not talking happiness and hubbly-bubbly, charismatic, fluffy stuff. We're talking this is a deep, deep joy of I know Job says in the midst of suffering, I know that my Redeemer lives. <laughs> Friends, that's not happy, clappy, fluffy joy. That is, that is biblical, spiritual joy. So if you want to strive for anything, the writer to the Hebrew says, strive to enter His rest. Get to that place and saying, Lord, I want to know what it's like to be on the victory side. That my sins have been forgiven. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You've won the battle for me and I'm living in victory because of you. I'm at peace. 
I'm at peace with God. Amen. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 11, he says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he can sit in prison with his mate and they can sing worship songs. A great hero for me is King David. He has a man, he has great power, great influence, great wealth. But guess what? His thirst for God outstripped it all. Listen. Oh God, he says Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, that's not a passive word, earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Listen to Psalm 27. One thing, he says, listen, one thing, not 5, 10, 15, one thing. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord and that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He says, the one thing I want, my power, my prestige, my wealth has got nothing to do with it. There's one thing I want. I want to be in the presence of God. Are you that hungry for God's presence? Because let me tell you, friends, it's not going to just come wafting your way, maybe every now and again, but let me tell you, we have to position ourselves for his presence. And obviously Billy didn't know what I was preaching about, but that thing of repositioning is just so pertinent. So he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. How many of us are saying, I just want to dwell in his presence Say, no, no, it's a busy life. It's a busy world. Of course it is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Gave myself a fright. <laughs> Listen, can we get very basic? Your life is busy at work, but you've got to go to the loo. Am I right? Friends, I know men sit there longer than the ladies, but <laughs> let, let me just tell you, the loo can be a holy place. <laughs> Seriously. You don't have to sit there thinking, oh, what a difficult boss I've got. What a tough time I'm having. Just say, oh, Jesus, I worship you. I just bless you, Lord. I just, I just, I want to be in your presence, Lord. Okay, then half the other guys have left the jazz. But anyway, that's fine. <laughs> so he says, one thing I've desired that I will seek after that I may dwell, that I may live in the presence of the Lord. 
all the days of my life. Listen to this. And gaze upon his beauty. Gaze means to look intensely to fix your eyes like you would look at a beautiful sunset or some other beautiful thing in the world to fix your eyes on Jesus and feed on his glorious life. That's worship. That I may gaze, look intently upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. It was David who said, in his presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of contentment. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And those pleasures are not the pleasures the world gives. There's a pleasure much deeper, friends. Much deeper than what the world can offer. Because the pleasures of the world are fleeting and skin deep. And very often lead to trouble. But the pleasures of God lead you to life. The mark of true spirituality. If you want to know how you are progressing in your walk of faith, the question you need to ask yourself is this. How content am I in God? How content am I in God, whether I have much or whether I have little? And I often think of my mom. She was widowed early, and she lived in a little one-bedroom cottage in Crown Gardens, just a hop, skip, and a jump to Goldreef City. She lived in that little one-bedroom cottage. She's one of the happiest women I've ever known and one of the wealthiest women in the spirit. In the world, she had a pensioner's salary, but in God, she was one of the richest women in the world the age of 80, still doing prison ministry. Up to 90, worshipping the Lord with all her might, writing letters to people around the world, encouraging them. Contentment in God. See, Jesus said, I've come that men might have life. And that word life is joe, which means I've come to give you God's quality of life. God's quality of life. I've come to give you the life of God. You see, that life was breathed into us in the beginning. God breathed his life into Adam and he became a living, a living soul. The life of God was in him. But then sin destroyed that. But when we come to Jesus, the Father comes and He breathes His life back into us. And we are born of the Spirit. I've been thinking about John the Apostle. You know, I always thought he was kind of first in line 
because Jesus chose him to be first. And then I thought Peter, James, and John were the first three because Jesus, Jesus chose them that way. What I've realized, the reason why John was first, and you remember he was part of that whole little upset about, hey, Lord, you know, when in your kingdom, can you sort a place for us? Same John. Guess what? That switched. Because he fell in love with Jesus. And he wasn't interested in position anymore. He was interested in person. And he fell in love with Jesus. So here's the deal. You will get as much of God as you want. You will get as much of God as you want. I really believe that with all of my heart. He who comes to me says, Jesus, I will never turn away. He who believes in me, he is thirsty. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers. Not a little puddle. River, river of life. The reason why John was so close to Jesus is because he fell in love with Jesus and he kept pressing in. Ephesians, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to close, come to the end here, but Ephesians 3.19, this is, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He says that you may know the love of Christ. That's priority. <laughs> that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. The word filled in the original is pleroma which means filled. So you ask me for a glass of water, and my wife always chirps me about this, and she's probably watching now. But she says, love, give me a glass of water. And uh, actually, I don't give her such a big glass, but I did that so you guys can see. And I give her a glass of water. <laughs> what? Sorry, 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 sorry. You see, you see Murdoch, that's exactly why I don't like these things. I thought Murdoch's going to be so proud of me today, and now I'm going to screw the whole thing up. Okay. She says, love, that, that glass is not full, right? <laughs> I'll have to redo this beautiful wood. I mean, wouldn't you think that's a pretty full glass of water? Yeah. Well, I would. I think it's pretty full. <laughs> Maybe I'm a half glass, half full guy anyway. No, love, I want a full glass of water. I would say that's pretty full. I mean, don't get greedy now. I think that's pretty full. <laughs> is that full? Are you checking properly here? Is that full? <laughs> if I remember my science, and I mean I doctored badly, is that not what they call a meniscus? I oh, know that's that's a bone, I think. That's biology. <laughs> Now it's full. My cup runs over. Amen. That's Paul's prayer. He said, guys, I want you to be filled. 
to the top. In Fanegalo, when you get to the petrol station, it says, Bottom my daughter. I want this tank full. And then I shake in the car. There's a little airlock here. I said, I want it full. Yeah, shake, 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 shake. Last one, I guess. Five, five cents more, thank you. Now it's full. Friends, don't be sold short. God wants you and me to be filled to overflowing with His glorious life. And here's the deal. It's not going to just happen. You need to start striving. Striving for the things that really matter. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled in Him. That's why Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. Because that's debauchery. That's, that's worldly stuff. He says, I want to encourage you. Get drunk with the Spirit. He says, the English doesn't do it any justice. Because in the Greek, it actually reads in a present continuous sense. So what he's saying is, don't just get filled. I'm filled. No. He says, go on being filled. Because if you're anything like me, I've got a couple of leaks. And I need refilling. Friends, I want to encourage you. Sit in the presence of God and just say, Lord, I need to be filled to overflowing with your precious Holy Spirit. The more, listen, I really believe this, friends. I really believe this. The more I get filled with God, the less place I have in my life for junk. You know, I believe in deliverance. I've been delivered. I've delivered many people from many things. But let me tell you, there's no greater deliverance than when you get just so filled with God one day you wake up and say, oh, that thing that was giving me so much trouble, boom, it's gone. It's not hampering me anymore. Those chains are off. Cut them out the way. Why? Because there's no place in the temple of the Holy Spirit for junk. Sorry, I'm nearly finished. <laughs> Paul says to Timothy, young Timothy, He's discipling this wonderful young man. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So I want to close with the scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want you to really allow this word to just flow over you. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, it's not the root, it's a root to all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But, says Paul, but as for you, O man of God, flee. 
run for your life from anything that will distract you from knowing the fullness of Jesus. Uh, that's my bracket, by the way. Pursue. Strive for righteousness, for the life of God. Strive for godliness. Strive for faith. Strive for love. Pursue it. Go after it. Then he says, take hold of the eternal life. Take hold of the life of God and say, I want all that you've got to give me. Not bits and pieces. All that you've got to give me. Take hold of eternal life. To which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Friends, that's aggressive language. When you are born again, there's, a, there's been a switch of your affections. Now God is sent to space. And the more I submit to God, the more I avail myself to the working of His Spirit, the more He fills me. It's what Billy said, it's a repositioning, friends. It's a daily thing. I just position myself towards you, Jesus. Life is hard at the moment. I'm going through some stress, some troubles, but right now, by faith, by faith, I focus on you, Lord Jesus. I'm feeling fraught. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm harassed. But Jesus, now by faith, I look to you as my prized possession. I look to you as Savior and King, and I worship you. That's the breakthrough. We need to purposely, purposely drink from the wells of salvation. Purposely, friends. That's why we need to get past this little 10, 15 minute quiet time. I know life's busy, but friends, we find time for a lot of things. I want to urge you, find time for God. Not a little scripture for the day, not a little prayer for the day, to be in His presence. Friends, how wonderful that we don't even have to talk we think we've always got to talk. No, no, Father's there. Father's here. I just want to be with you, Father. I just want to receive from you this morning. Intentionally make room for Jesus. For too many people, He's an add-on. He, he sits in the passenger seat and keeps me safe. He finds me a parking in the mall when I'm harassed and I need a parking place. Oh, please, let's get past that. Let's get like David and he said, Oh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That I may gaze upon his beauty. So, friends, I want to ask you this morning, what stuff is hindering you? Honestly, what stuff is hindering you from entering into the fullness of the life of God in Jesus. What shackles are holding you back from experiencing the exhilaration and the joy of running this, this, this life and this race with Jesus? I am convinced that if you are aware of something right now and your heart is prepared to align itself with God on this issue, I know He'll set you free.
Because the biggest problem is coming to that place of saying, actually, I'm a bit pitiful. And this thing in my life is ruling and it's, it's wrong. When we come to that place and in faith we turn to Jesus and say, Lord, break that chain. I believe there'll be deliverance. So, Father, we want to thank you this morning for your incredible grace in Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Lord, for a bunch of sinners, undeserving sinners. Jesus, you hung on that cross. You hung there in my place. You shed your blood in my place. You who were rich for our sake become, become poor, that from your poverty we might become so rich. We want to thank you for that, Lord, for this incredible exchange. Lord, I ask you now, as we come to this last worship song, you know what's hampering us. You know what's crowding you out in our life. I pray, Lord, that as we come in faith this morning and hold this thing before you, that you will come and break chains, that you'll break habits, and that you'd give us a revelation of what it is to live in freedom with Jesus. I thank you for that, Holy Spirit. I thank you for that. I ask that you administer to each person now as, as we sing this last song, that you'd move in our lives, Lord, as we position ourselves towards you, Lord, seeking first the kingdom of God, your righteousness, and trusting for these other things to take place behind you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.